Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I will preach this morning. I'm going to talk about grace for the next three weeks. Uh, it's, it's a theme that, call me naive, but when we talk about, about grace, when I think about that, I think when it comes to grace, and why wouldn't everybody want Christianity to be true? Have you ever thought about that? Like of, of, and maybe, you know, not, not the version of Christianity that you grew up with or you'd been exposed to or hurt by or that's been mucked up by the church. I'm talking about Jesus' version of Christianity. I, who, who wouldn't want that to be true? Because I think there's, there's a big difference between uh, when people come to believe between uh, I don't believe and I don't want to believe. Hear the difference? The difference between I... I don't believe and I don't want to believe because Blaise Pascal, a mathematician who later became a Christian, he wrote this, he said, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof but on the basis of what they find attractive. Now, I'm not for a minute saying that Christianity is just true because it's attractive. Christianity is attractive because it's true. But people were attracted to Jesus in the early days. The pure form of Christianity. You see in a Roman city, Christians running in to help the poor and person after person long after he's gone coming to Christianity, Christianity exploding through the countryside. People loved Christianity. And I think it's for this word we're going to talk about for three weeks. And that word is grace. We see this in John's gospel. First words of the first book of the New Testament. The word became flesh. The reason for life. The logos became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. And so what, if, if Christianity is a religion of grace, why wouldn't everybody want it to be true? Man, that's what I feel at Christianity. Why wouldn't you want it to be true? And, um, and I think it's because grace... Grace is something that we all have in common, whether you're a Christian or not this morning. Uh, we, 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 all, we all love grace. We all particularly love grace uh, when our guilt is exposed. We all want grace. We all crave grace when our guilt is exposed. And you know this, you've grown up those moments, that moment, you know, where mom or dad's cleaning out your pockets in the school washing and they find that funny sort of black, tobacco stuff wrapped up in paper that you shouldn't have had in your pocket in the first place and they discover that you've been doing things that you shouldn't have quite been doing and we crave grace, right? Well, we all crave grace in that moment where a friend confronts us and says, hey, I know what you've been saying about me. Some of you crave grace when the tax office calls. <laughs> we all have this craving for grace in common, on the other side of it too, what we have in common is, I don't know about you, but don't you find grace incredibly hard to extend when you're confronted by the guilt of others towards you? We love, we love to receive it, but it's, it's so hard to give it to everyone else. I, I had the, my, one of my ultimate experiences of grace was, was when I was a little kid. Um, when I was a kid, it was part of my job to, uh, to go and prepare the, the firewood for the fire. We didn't have all the Weber barbecues and all the snazzy gas things that we do these days. I had to go and prepare the firewood. And firewood back in those days was uh, all of uh, the old fence palings. You remember them, the old fence palings that they'd have and people would leave them out on the street when they upgrade to the metal ones. And so uh, we would always collect fence palings in the station wagon. And it was my job to go downstairs uh, into the foundations of our deck in our two-storey house there, uh, into the foundations because we could put the fence paling under 
under the metal pole of the foundations and break up all the wood and then I would um, break it up with a tomahawk, my favourite toy as a kid. Uh, it was Dad's uh, tomahawk, a little mini axe to chop up all the firewood. And so we would, we would chop up the firewood in this foundation for our deck, which was about four to, it felt like, yeah, three or four foot tall. How big is that? Maybe, maybe that's three to four feet, yeah. Um, but it was, it was this deep trench that we would we would dig stuff up in anyway um i'd been doing all the firewood with the tomahawk one day and dad was getting ready to, for the barbecue went to go and get it and uh anyway i heard this almighty scream coming from downstairs in this in this trench <laughs> down underneath the deck so i ran down to see what had happened and dad had uh, jumped down into the trench to get the firewood for the barbecue and as he jumped down in there in his thongs he jumped on top of a, a, a wood paling that had had a giant nail sticking out of it and it went all the way through his foot yeah I'm not good with that stuff either <laughs> tell all the doctors in the room they're perfectly calm you know yeah Anyway, so it's that moment when that happens to you as a kid where it's like, do I stay and try and get a Band-Aid or do I just run? <laughs> and, and it was at that moment that I'm just frozen not knowing what to do next and, and, and it was the words out of Dad's mouth that I'll never forget and his actions I'll never forget. He just calmly, I don't know, supernaturally, just turned to me and said, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and that was it. Like, no smack, no grounding, no taking away of the Sega Master System, none of that sort of stuff. Pure grace. Pure grace because grace is this. Grace is more than I felt his love, but grace is different from love. God's grace is different from his love. I not only felt love, but I felt grace. And grace is this. Grace is not just a good deed, but grace is a good deed that it's extended to someone that is the opposite of what is really owed to them. True grace is doing good to someone who deserves the opposite. And so grace not only means showing love and doing good to someone, but you do it to someone who doesn't deserve it, someone you don't owe it to. You do good to someone you owe the opposite. It's for you to give, to give tenderness to someone who deserves toughness. It's for you to extend a hand when someone's hit you with a fist. It's for you to welcome someone who shut you out. That's, that's what grace is. Another, And as a result, as a result, grace is this. Grace is always expensive, costly to the giver, surprising to the watcher, and traumatic to the receiver. Wouldn't you agree? True grace is expensive, it's surprising, but it's traumatic. You might have heard you know, an even simpler definition that grace is, is unearned, undeserved favour. That's the one you grew up in Bible college, Bible, school, Sunday school with, right? Grace is unmerited favour. Now, here's what I've been wrestling through with this week when I've been thinking about this, because this has hit me in a way that it hasn't hit me before. It's that, that on one hand, I think we, we approach God's grace and we come to this time of year and we read passages like John 1. It says Jesus is full of grace and we've received God's grace through the forgiveness of our sins. And we hear all of the technical Bible side of things and yet, and yet we, we come to extend it to other people and we find it so difficult. And whenever I'm finding it difficult to extend grace to others, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, there must be a disconnect somewhere between the head and the heart. That's the litmus test that you, you might have received unmerited favour. You might have received doing the opposite in the head. But, but if it's not expressed, then it, it hasn't melted. It hasn't shifted your heart. And here's, here's why I think 
Grace fundamentally hasn't melted and shifted our hearts in that moment. And it's this, I think, for most people, most Christians, most modern people, we can't fully receive the grace of God until we've come to a recognition that, and we're absolutely convinced that we don't deserve it. Until we're absolutely convinced we don't. We've got an, we've, we've got an undeserving issue when it comes to God's grace. Because we think, well, naturally, we think, what I ever do? And that's what I want to explain in these coming moments, if you're up for it, because the title of this series is An Unsettling Gift, and this is an unsettling way to, to think and talk about grace. But you're big kids, so I figure we could just talk real about it. Uh, but it's unsettling when you look at the way that it's hit me as to how the Bible truly talks about God's grace. And so in comes John, and he gives us what can seem like quite a poetic, obscure piece of literature in John chapter 1. I mean, some people have described it as, as the best ever opening chapter of any book ever written. Like, imagine what you've got to do if you've seen the miracles of Jesus and you've, you've literally eaten fish and chips with him, resurrected after he's been on, hanging on a cross and you're, you're there eating with him and you've got a blank sheet of paper and you're trying to tell the world what you've, what you've seen. Like, what would you write? And he says, in the beginning was the reason for the life and the reason for life was God and the reason for life was with God. And then he says in verse 5 and 9, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, underline into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him he was coming into the world here's the first principle to truly experience the grace of God something has to break in something has to break in it has to break in on you the thing over and over and over again you'll see in the bible is um, grace is not earned it's received grace is not found it's discovered grace is not stumbled upon grace stumbles upon you you get the message this, this is something that has to break into you. You don't find God, God finds you. And the fundamental reason why we don't receive grace as undeserved favour is that, is that the modern person never feels deserving of grace. I'll get to that in a second. Let, let me put it this way. Um, when I was a teenager, I, I got the privilege to go and house sit for a friend of my auntie's up in Newcastle. And uh, we're up there with my cousin, and we're going to look after their place. I felt so grown up as a 15-year-old, like we're two doors down from my auntie's place. Anyway, we went to go and house sit for, for this family, and when I got into the house, there was this almighty stench. Like it stunk. Like, uh, like I've, I've been in untidy houses, like this really, really stunk. And, and even worse, the room that I was supposed to be staying in was the worst of all the rooms. Like it really, really stuck. It stunk so bad that me and my cousin went out to the shops and we bought uh, one or two of those Glade things, you know, the air fresheners that you get for your car, but, but not the normal one, like the super concentrate that's supposed to last you for about a year. And we just poured it over everything, like the bed sheets and the lounge and the whole, like the, like the place absolutely stunk. And I'm sure we stunk as well. I was convinced that whenever we were walking out to the shops during that week, we were just like walking wicks of like Glade air freshener through the shops shops you know there was so much of the stuff anyway um by about the fourth or fifth day uh it, it wasn't as bad anymore I thought it's all it's all fine and we sort of started to forget it was all there and by about the seventh day whenever the family came back the, the family comes in and hey how you doing what's going on the first thing they said to us is oh where's sparkles 
Where's, what, do you, what do you mean, where's sparkles? Where's sparkles? Where's the rabbit? <laughs> like, we, we, haven't, we haven't seen a rabbit. We haven't seen a rabbit all week. Have you got a rabbit? Yeah, we've got a rabbit. Where's sparkles? We discovered that that funny smell underneath my bed is that poor little sparkles had been bitten by one of the dogs just before we handed over and had crawled under the bed that I was sleeping in and died earlier that week. And so I'd spent the week sleeping over the top of a dead rabbit. <laughs> when, when John uses his poetic language, like in, you know, light breaks into the darkness, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and he dwelled amongst it. You know what God's saying to us? We're sparkles. We're sin from a biblical perspective. Sin from a biblical perspective is that that thing in your life and my life that stinks underneath the bed of our soul. And that the biblical story is that sin in our lives is something that for many of us we just become so accustomed to or that we've used so many of our own self-saving techniques to glade the stench of it all from God's perspective that we forget that it's really there. That there's this, this underlying sense of condemnation over every single one of us for this stench that lives at the center of our soul. To which absolutely the modern person, or most of you in this room are thinking, Sam, how can you possibly be preaching that sort of gospel in this day and age and in this modern world? Uh, that is exactly the sort of archaic, out-of-date, guilt-inducing sort of language that churches have been guilty of for years. And on one hand, I would agree with you if, in some respects uh, if you felt that way because I think in many ways you know, churches have preached a gospel uh, throughout the years that spend so much time trying to convince people how, how rotten they are and how guilty they are before God um, so they can eventually get them to a point where they can sell them Jesus as, uh, as the reason and, and the solution to all that their guilt and everything else that they're feeling within their life. You know, I, I, sort, of, I sort of think of it's almost like a version of, uh, of secretly turning up the air conditioning in the room so I can sell you a bottle of water at the end of the message. You know what I mean? I just The more and more I read the Gospels and the broad narrative of what the Scriptures say, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the world. And what, what did God say? It's good. And Dallas Willard says, you know, what, what if we started at Genesis chapter 1, not Genesis chapter 3? God created us out of his goodness and his image, but then sin enters the world. And then, by the way, when we talk about sin in the S word here, you will always hear me preach this. And some of you are just going to roll your eyes because you're like, I've heard this 15 times. Well, here comes the 16th. <laughs> and whenever the Bible talks about sin, it's not talking about good deeds versus bad deeds. The stench at the centre of our soul fundamentally from a biblical perspective is self-interest. Over and over again, the Bible talks about sin as self-interest. And so what, what John is saying, until, until light breaks in and reveals to us that we're fundamentally living lives of self-interest, then we are captive. We are captive to the way in which we live. We're never really free. This gift of grace is coming in to free us from all of that. When John says the light shines in the darkness, what, he, what he's really saying is anyone who is a Christian is woken to the fact that the stench at the center of the soul is not that they're a fundamentally bad person. 
But there is just something within our human nature that wants to live for ourselves, to take good things like our family and our money and our status and elevate them to the ultimate goal in our lives to the extent that if we do that long enough, I have to have the money, I have to have the security, I have to have the status, I have to have the position, I have to have the job as the basis of feeling right with anyone in the world and ultimately right with myself. Is this making sense? So the good news is, when we come to a recognisation that this is happening, light and darkness, finally there's contrast in our life where we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for God. Something has to break in. Because fundamentally the Bible is saying that every, every sin, every act of self-interest has a gotcha, but Jesus has come to get you. Every, every sin has a gotcha, but Jesus has come to get you, to pull you out of that, to lead you out of, out of that. And so, to, first of all, to experience the grace of God, it's, it's got to break in. I'll move through the others a little, a little quicker. But look at what John says here then, verse 11. He came to that which he was, was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 14, then the word became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. There's the breaking in. And then to Ephesians, for it is grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You didn't do it. It's the gift of God. Underline gift in your Bibles. Not by works so that no one can boast. So not only does, uh, to experience grace, they have to break in on you, but secondly, then you have to receive grace as an offensive gift. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I don't know, mums, are you into this sort of stuff? Who's started all the Christmas shopping already? We're getting pretty close. We've got a few there. I don't, have you noticed that when you go shopping for people, those who are doing the shopping, you're always constantly thinking about the person that you're buying for and what the perfect gift would be them, for them, right? That's what you should do. I think there's, what's the new craze, hun? What is it? Need, want, read, wear or something. It's like there's this new Marie Kondo sort of version of buying gifts for people. But the, the principle's the same. Krista knows she's buying for the kids. Um, <laughs> You're constantly thinking about the person, and the principle is this, that a good gift often communicates more about the receiver than it does the giver, right? So, for example, like if I, if I open up a gift from Kristen under the Christmas tree and there's three little gifts for me there and I open up the first gift and it's the CSIRO wellbeing diet, <laughs> then I open up the, the next gift and it's a little bit of just for men, extra brown, hair dye, And the last one's a bottle of Listerine. <laughs> Could it be possible that what my wife is trying to communicate to me is that uh, I'm a fat guy who's getting a little bit older with stinky breath? <laughs> right? The principle is, you know, and to receive that willingly <laughs> with joy and with pleasure is fundamentally humbling, isn't it? <laughs> to receive an offensive gift like that fundamentally humbles you if you receive that gift with joy. And so, so often, you know, we preachers say, receive the gift of God's grace with joy and rejoice in all of this. And what we underestimate is to truly experience the grace of God in this fashion. It's a heart humbling, isn't it? What, that God had to send his son because we couldn't live life for ourselves because this stench underneath the bed, sin, self-interest, not good deeds, bad deeds, not, it's not that you're a bad person, but you live in your own. God had to send his son down there to fix it. It's a humbling gift. It's a, it's a humbling gift if you receive it. Where it's that final moment that every, every Christian, when they receive the grace of God, says, you know what, I give up. 
I don't know how to run the world. It's, it's, it's offensive, but it's humbling, and it gets worse. So can you bear with me? I've just got one worse point, and then we'll get to the good point. Is that all right? It's a wonderfully chirpy way to talk about grace this morning. <laughs> it breaks in, it's offensive. And then Ephesians says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from you. It's the gift of God, and, and not, it's not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's the final principle. Not only does it need to break in, not only is it offensive, but grace is radically threatening. This is why it's an unsettling gift. It's radically threatening because grace threatens the very basis for the way that most people want to live their lives. And what I mean by that is that most people want to live their lives or live their lives out of a a fundamental sense of self-righteousness that ultimately says, I don't want to owe anybody anything. Why, why is it so difficult to receive grace from someone that you've wronged? Because I don't ultimately want to owe you. That there is something within us that says, look, however way I can work it out, I don't want to pay, I don't want anything in their hands because I don't, I, I, I don't want to owe them and because and if I owe them, then I'll no longer be in charge. Which... Um, which, which ironically, you know, particularly in our culture in the lower North Shore, I, t- I tell you the ultimate way that that self-righteousness works and it gets confused with grace, it's in what I call the graceful withdrawal. I'm sure none of you would ever do this, but it's a bit of an oxymoron because there's nothing gracious about a gracious withdrawal. A gra- a, 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 the gracious withdrawal is, is actually a way to not deal with the issues of hurt at hand and to move away from the person so ultimately you can remain in a position where I don't owe them nothing. But grace is threatening to this basis of saying, you know, there's ultimately something in me that doesn't want to owe anyone anything. This sense of self-righteousness. And there's like, there's a loser's self-righteousness and there's a winner's self-righteousness. I mean it in the best possible way, but, you know, the loser's self-righteousness, to use that stereotype, you know, is the sort of self-righteousness that says, life has mucked me up, someone's mucked me up whatever it was that mucked me up and now my life is mucked up and because my life is mucked up, then I get to live whichever way I want. And can you see that way of thinking is ultimately for someone in that position to be in charge of their life? I don't owe you anything because life has been tough to me and so I'm just going to live the way I want. And then the winner's self-righteousness is a little bit more obvious, but it says I've achieved, I've succeeded, I've worked it through, I've earned it, I've done it, (laughs) I don't need it. Can you see how both are ultimately a way of still wanting to control your life? And so grace comes in and grace says to the stereotyped loser of life, hang on, no, there is, there is a life beyond what you could imagine. There is, there is a life that is more for you. There is a life where this identity doesn't have to be you. There is a life where you, where you are empowered to, to, to live, live forward and graciously under God's guidance. And, and, and grace comes in here and it threatens this type of self-righteousness and basically says, what do you ever do? <laughs> Who gave you the brains? Who put you in that space? Who gave you the opportunity? All of that's a gift from God. And you see how ultimately grace is radically threatening. It strips away the ability for us all to live our own lives. But here's here's the upkick. Here's the wonder of it. When, When we truly experience grace through that breaking in, we allow it to humbly offend us, and to dismantle our self-saving way of living our lives, then grace becomes paradoxically liberating. 
we're, we're finally free. We're finally, we finally don't have to have that thing. We finally don't have to be in control. Philippians 3, Paul says, I count all of those things I used to boast in as a loss as I now receive the knowledge and experience of the power of Christ. Here it says, faith is grace. It's a gift from God so that no one can boast. And unless we remember how little we deserve, and unless we remember all of the good things that God gives us, from first to last, every part of it, every asset, every mercy, all of it grace, unless we do that, then these things that self-interest will amplify ultimately will strangle us and will never be free. That liberates us. And so this morning, you know, grace, grace, it's so hard to receive because it pinpoints us down to a moment of decision. Do I live my way or do I live God's way? Do I live by my works or do I live by God's works? Is it my efforts for acceptance or is it God's efforts in Jesus Christ for acceptance? And it threatens everything that we have inside of us. But then as a religion of grace, and you've heard me say this, ultimately then what it means is Christianity, unlike every other religion in the world, is the only religion in the world where when you come to understand this, that, that you need to work out what you are going to do when you realise that you need do nothing at all. Hear that? Christianity is the only religion in the world where you've got to work out what you're going to do when you realise you don't need to do anything at all. It's wonderfully liberating. It's wonderfully freeing. And so as we finish this morning, the question comes up, why would God do this? Why, why, would he do that? why would he go through all of this? Why would he give his son? Ephesians says he does this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. And here's, here's what that means. It means for any one of us that calls ourselves Christians this morning, into whatever context you are going into, the minute you leave these doors, it's God's purpose. He has purposed you to be trophies of his grace in the watching world. And it's Christmas, so there's no better time to be a trophy for grace at Christmas because I'm a pastor and I've done a few sort of Christmases now. And last time I checked, this is this time of year where you and I know it and we feel it. That as we inch ever closer to December 25th, like family, the strain of family relationships come to the forefront. Every bit of pain, every bit of guilt that we feel either that we've caused in a relationship or that someone else should feel in the relationship that we have comes to the forefront. Every little niggle, every little thing that we've been suppressing relationally for about 12 months. Have you found, you know, it's this time of year where it just mysteriously pops up. You know, it's the time of year where everyone goes a little bit emotionally cray-cray. Have you noticed that? And I believe for each and every one of us, and this is the whole purpose of what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks, from Ephesians here, I absolutely believe that God has purposed each and every one of us that are followers of Jesus to move into these spaces and places and to be trophies of his grace. Who else is going to do it? Who do you need to move towards in order to extend this grace? We're going to talk about that more next week. But in the beginning was the reason for life, and the reason for life became flesh, and we've seen his glory, said John. It's Jesus, and he was full of grace and truth. You know what God is saying to us this morning simply? He says to us this morning, where's sparkles? Are there dead things hidden underneath the bed of your soul that you know are strangling you? And they stink from God's perspective. <laughs> Jesus says, I've come to pull you out of that. 
don't live like that. And he's saying, by the way, all of, all of your own works, which are your version of just trying to put Glade air freshener on the whole sin situation, it's so flippin' obvious to everyone else. And it's just making everyone else stink worse. Follow me. Move out of this. Because, you know, it, we see that God in Jesus Christ, God in Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ, he wasn't the only father who copped a nail through the foot and decided not to smack his kids. But offered to them the opposite of what they deserved. As we come to the communion table this morning, I'm wondering whether or not we would do it unsettled this morning by the grace of God. It's not the way I thought it would go when I took this topic. But may we be unsettled, may we be shocked, may we be rattled, may we be offended. May we see that and maybe just maybe as we move to the table this morning, maybe just maybe there be someone in this place who has the courage to bring that to him this morning. In receiving the emblems, his body broken for you and the cup, his blood spilt from you, you would receive this offensive, humbling gift. And you would move into an even deeper experience of that which I know so many of us know in our heads. But an ever deeper experience of his love, but ultimately his grace over you and I. Let's do that now. Father, we commit this time to you. I pray desperately, Father, for each of us that we would know this afresh this morning. That your Holy Spirit would take these words and as we commune with you, Father, we would take those things at the center of our soul and we would, live the, we would lift them up to you unashamedly, boldly. And without condemnation, knowing the truth that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might in this moment recognize that we are the very righteousness, your righteousness of God, that we are right with you. So may there be no fear, no guilt, no condemnation as we do all of that. May we celebrate as we take communion the freedom that we have in you as a result of the gift of your grace. We thank you for that now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.